I've never dared to do that before. <laughs> He's just giddy because it's episode 100. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon, I guess. So th- we're knee-deep in tech <laughs> and Simon is completely out of it, which is <laughs> not that surprising, actually. So this is episode 100. Or it's number 100. It's not the 100th episode. So we are at Express Live still, even though Simon's just about to be kicked out. (laughs) And we have found yet another guest with the misfortune of talking to us. So we have Erin Davis. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So Erin, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. And please tell us who you are. Why are you here? What a massively big philosophical question you Uh have just asked me. Yes. Um, So I am a agile coach um, in the joyous world of fintech startups. And I think I spend the majority of my day running around with post-it notes and Sharpie pens, to be honest. It's great. It's very fun. I have nothing. (laughs) So basically, (laughs) why have you brought an agile coach to a podcast that mainly focuses on IT infrastructure, you may ask. That's a good question. And we attended your session yesterday, mm-hmm. and that session was on on culture. Yes. Or more specifically, how to change culture. Yes. Which can be an interesting proposition in itself. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you pretty much said, I can't remember if it was outright or between the lines, is that agile and, and infrastructure kind of don't mix i feel like you're putting words in my mouth i am it's called a segue oh oh okay <laughs> no, so that, so that is fair enough so but you you said something to that fact that they're they're generally difficult to combine they're difficult to merge i think this was a uh, a question i had with someone uh towards the end of the talk so there are certain projects that it might naturally seem that you need to follow a traditional waterfall project management methodology. Um, And sometimes, frankly, it can be easier if you're not an organization or a team that has worked in an agile state of mind. Um, Bad agile is significantly worse than bad waterfall, in my opinion. But that's not to say you cannot do infrastructure projects in some agile method. So should we start by what's Agile or what's Agile to you? So Agile is, I seem to work with words that are really difficult to define. Um, Agile is becoming very quickly a lovely buzzword in the IT and business community. But ultimately, the what it is, is a series of different types of frameworks uh, to change the way that teams work together. Uh, the Agile that I work with is primarily Scrum, which is iterative small releases over a two-week period, but some people work with Lean, which is all about flow and reducing your bottlenecks. Um, For me, ultimately what it is about is creating happy teams that can respond to change and deliver high-quality work fast. That was pretty... That was a good definition. It was. And I think you also now mentioned something that some organizations have a challenge with and some don't you see the value in. Because you only care about your team. Mm-hmm. You don't care at all in in practice about your company's customers. Why why is that? Uh we had this conversation the other night actually. Uh the um fundamentally if you look after your team, you're gonna get better work. And the better your work you get, the better your 
the product you're releasing to your customers is. So if you keep your team functional and happy and working in a way that is productive, you are going to get a better product in the same way that if you have a team that's incredibly diverse in the way they think and the way they view the world, you are going to get a significantly richer product, which will meet the needs of your customers in a way that just forcing them to release new features every three weeks is not going to do. But I think we we had this conversation uh, yesterday as well. You don't do tech. No. You couldn't care less about tech. You saw my tech issues when I was trying to present. Yes. Yes. They were um, legion. How how do you how do you get away with not knowing tech in a fintech startup? You trust the team that you're working with. I trust my development team to tell me if they have a problem. They need to explain it to me in a way that I can understand if I need to help them. There is an element of understanding trends. So if I have a developer who overestimates the amount of time it will take him to do something on a consistent basis, I know that he might be over-dramatizing. But for the most part, the people in the team who are the ones doing the work and they are the ones who are coding and releasing are the ones who understand the product. I am there to facilitate them and to get everyone else out of their way. So this kind of brings us to the question, people or process? Because either you can go full tilt, process is the only thing, and Mm -hmm. people are are kind of just bits and pieces, or people are just the thing and the process, well, it'll adapt. How, How would you define the divide between those? So I have said in multiple job interviews that I am the world's worst agile coach. I don't care about Agile. Agile is a methodology that will get me to the outcome. Something else is going to come along in a few years' time that surpasses Scrum. Um, It's all about the people. So when you have a highly functional team, there are opportunities where I just ignore the process and the framework entirely. If I have a team that works together really well, communicates, collaborates really well, and the daily stand-up is annoying them and they're not getting any value out of it, let's just scrap the stand-up. Are you also in charge of building the teams? Or do you get to work with the team that someone else has put together? It's a bit of both. In an ideal world, I would be there from the inception of the team. Yep. Um so one of my teams that I'm going to be working with soon, they're, they're a brand new project team, new project kickoff. It's going to be really good fun because we can go right from the beginning, do a proper um, kickoff, ways of working, agreement, that sort of thing. Uh, frequently, because before this I was agile consulting and I would come into teams who are already f- pre-existing yeah. teams. And that is more about understanding how the team dynamics work and what needs to be slowly tweaked and adapted and adjusted over a longer period of time to get them to the point where they're fully cohesive. Sometimes it is also about having a conversation that you have the wrong people in the team. So how does that usually turn out if you open up that discussion that this group of people in the team or the entire team or someone in the team is really not suitable to be in that team it doesn't mean that the person is not good at the person's job but how do people understand the need of a functional team to the level where they would 
actually say, no, you're right, and find a team that's more suitable. It's really hard to argue with the statement that to deliver the product that you want us to deliver, we need someone with this specific skill set. Yep. Right now, we do not have that in this team. That is no judgment on any no. individual on the team. There is a missing skill set. So then you go into, well, hang on, who who have we got on the team? Well, this person is uh, has really good depth of knowledge around the legacy software that, that currently exists. We clearly need them. Yeah. And we need this person. And we need that person. Here is the gap. Yeah. Um, so you can either, it depends how, how I'm trying to change the team. If it's a, a case of trying to create a fully functional pod yeah. with all the skill set, then you approach it from the skill set side. Sometimes you do just have to say, I have two very clever iOS developers that don't like each other. Yep. What is the best way to get them out of each other's way? Yeah. And that might be you redistribute how the teams work. So you have one in team A doing this particular product and one in team B doing that product. And look, everyone is much happier that they're not griping at each other at the daily stand-up. But it's always pretty much keep your eyes on the price, mm -hmm. the big picture. Mm -hmm. And by using the big picture, it's easier to remove bits and pieces of their egos mm -hmm. to get them off whatever teams. Yeah, and that's where doing team kickoffs is really important. Um, so a, a working agreement or a team charter can be one of the most valuable things you do as a group where you sit down and the most valuable one I have ever done is we talked very honestly about how we work as individuals and I've said there are times where I am going to disappear yep. I need to do work I can't focus you're all annoying me I will be in a cafe do not take offense and having those really honest and open conversations as a group means that people kind of understand how you work um, without causing the artificial friction um, and then you can make sort of adjustments and be like okay Aaron's the sort of person that has 7,000 things on the go if it's really important you need to write it in block caps on a post-it note and put it in the middle of her screen otherwise she's going to forget or somebody else is really detail orientated and will want to sit in a quiet zone and deep dive and not be interrupted for two hours to get their piece of work done and I know this and I know not to approach them at, on Friday afternoons because that is the time that they are doing really detailed work and doing that not only makes your team really happy because they feel like they've got the working conditions that's most optimal for them, you are then providing them a scenario to do good work where they're not working until 11, 12 o'clock at night to be able to do the things that they wanted to do in their working hours. Or it's understanding that some people prefer to work really late. So they might be sending emails at midnight, but they're not expecting you to be doing the same. They just happen to be awake. I think this ties back to the what we started off with the culture mm -hmm. because to find an organization which would allow that level of flexibility for the individual human being mm -hmm. must be super hard to especially if you come into an already existing mm -hmm. larger organization where you have all different kinds of people so how, where would you start to actually make that work? Because it must be a super big clash when you then have a main organization, regardless of where they work. Then you have the developers that mm -hmm. are basically then, if you were to decide, free to do whatever they like mm -hmm. to get the work done. How do you work with that from an organizational point of view? 
So if I was being parachuted into that sort of organization, yeah. um, I am a very strong personality. <laughs> <laughs> so that's having having people like me on board is very helpful because what you can do is you can use people like me as the brick wall between the team and management. So you need to have a adult and grown up conversation with with the wider organization or yep. with management and say, we are going to deliver X. We are going to do it in our way. We will hit all of the regulatory things that we need to hit. Leave us alone. And what's the usual feedback when you propose to work in that way? So it's it's varied. Uh, you get some people who are interested to see how it works as a almost like an experiment prototype within their organization. Um, and frequently this is what happens is one or two teams are set up in this way and people just see how it goes. Um, or you get people who just can't let go. Yep. And those people who don't know how to let go, that's where it gets really fun for a scrum master or an agile coach because <laughs> that's where we get to have arguments on a near daily basis and you say this as if it's a good thing it's so fun <laughs> <laughs> and then that kind of brings me to the question what do you what kind of personality do you need to have to become a good agile coach because i'm, I'm starting to see a, a pattern mm. and as you said it's all about the people mm -hmm. so that means that you need to have a pretty firm grasp of people mm -hmm. you need to have a pretty well-defined spine mm. And it helps if you can also scream at people. I mean, I have found the ability to yell at people very useful. But some of the um, best coaches and scrum masters that I've seen are very quiet, introverted personalities. It's not necessarily about how you present yourself. You're right. You kind of need to have a spine as, as, as in, such. As in you need to be grounded. You need to be you need to be grounded. Um well I, I joke that I go and yell at people, but I usually go and present them with irrefutable facts. Um <laughs> and it turns into a relatively calm debate and it's someone who needs to be able to have awkward conversations, whether it is because they will go in like a bulldog and be really loud or whether they just very calmly stand their ground like the rock in the middle of the river. Um, but fundamentally, I think what makes someone be a good agile coach is someone who is willing to listen to people and understand their views and motivators and what drives them. If you go into an agile organization, say if you're going into a scrum master role and for you it is entirely about process, you have misunderstood like manifesto 101 for agile it is about people and interactions over process that is the very first thing that you get taught going into an agile world and it's a great irony that i find there's a lot of coaches that i talk to in other organizations and wider in the world they are absolute evangelists about following it precisely the way it quote unquote should be followed i'm like you are undermining everything you tell your t your teams because Daily scrums and uh, demos and sprint reviews and Kanban boards, those are all tools. And people tend to get caught up in the tool because it's easy to understand the tool, but not necessarily how to apply it. Yes. The arguments I have over Jira boards are uh, numerous and uh, they get farcical. <laughs> For some reason, I, I believe that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so would you say that there is something that's too agile? Can you be too agile if you don't? like disregard the process mm. is there a point where your focus on 
your teammates gets out of hand? If you're spending so much time running around trying to keep people happy and still not actually delivering anything at the end of it, then yep. you're possibly going, I don't want to say too agile, because again, I think that means you're misunderstanding the point of yep. the way of working and the mindset that, that comes underneath it. Yep. Um, so, no. There is then absolutely a point where you care then too much mm. about people. Mm-hmm rather than actually deliver something mm -hmm. yeah and i've been doing quite a lot of work with windows as a service mm -hmm. continuous work on infrastructure mm. and i probably misused agile <laughs> more times than i'm inclined to uh tell Everyone you about does. thank you <laughs> so how do you apply the agile way of developing software mm -hmm. on it infrastructure is that possible? Well, considering you can apply Scrum in every way of, of life. I know people who have used Kanban and Scrum boards to plan their wedding. Uh, oh. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a book written by Jeff Sutherland called Scrum, um, How to Do Twice the Work and Half the Time. Yeah. And it explains the concepts. And in there, there's loads of examples of where he's seen that the, the methodology works elsewhere. Um, my favorite one, there's a physics professor somewhere in one of the Scandi countries yeah. is using it to teach classes, is high school physics classes. And they, <laughs> the, the kids organize themselves. They get told they need to have certain skills in each of their groups. Yeah. And they organize themselves into groups and they have the year's backlog of, of um, experiments and topics they need to learn. And they decide what they're doing on each individual day. His job as the teacher is to walk around the room, facilitate any questions and issues they have. And if something's in done, he asks them a question. If the people in the group can't answer, it goes back to the backlog and they have to redo it and learn it again. For so when you started to tell that story, mm -hmm. I was like, this can never work. Mm -hmm. And now I would love to be a part of that class. Yeah. Because you would learn what's actually important, mm -hmm. how to work as a group. Yeah, and what you what they, they have to learn is how to um, divide and conquer work and not do yep. that thing that happens for every university student at some point is you're doing all of the group work for, for your group while yep. everyone else is slacking off. Yep. Um, so these kids are learning at a fairly early age how the real world actually works. You've got to collaborate, you've got to coordinate your work, you've got to learn that I'm very good at actually understanding the, the science behind it, but I'm not very good at presenting it. So yep. we help each other i think it's an excellent thing so coming back to your original question if someone can apply agile to teaching 13 year olds basic physics there is no reason why it professionals cannot find ways to apply it to infrastructure projects so what would you say would be as you see it as a non-technical person what would you see as the main challenges compared to software development mm -hmm. Oh, Lordy. So I don't understand infrastructure. Uh, to be fair, I barely understand how my laptop works when I turn it on. Um, so my, we joked about this before you start hitting record, but, you know, when it comes to infrastructure, just, you just stick it in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think actually that is the biggest challenge for, for anyone who works in the infrastructure world is understanding that how to explain hashtag stick it in the cloud to people like me who are idiots 
<laughs> because there's it is more complicated i i understand it's more complicated than just spinning up a spinning up a cloud environment yeah. doing what you do and killing it but it's understanding the work that is coming through from the development teams and the various different branching strategies and how do you make sure that it scales the way you need it to scale and do the developers in the 12 teams all eventually coming to one product actually know how to coordinate their release yeah and that's where it gets very interesting for um, infrastructure and infrastructure as a service because it's no longer working as a scrum level you're working at scrum at scale and oh. there are rules within that specifically that would be more infrastructure and release minded so now you said something about scrum level and scrum at scale at scale yes what's the difference so um a scrum is a self-contained scrum team yep um so depending on w at what point in the the release cycle you sat your uh, certified scrum master um test it is either uh less than 10 people it is nine people it is five plus or minus okay. two people um the analogy that's running around at the moment is the amazon sizing where you must be able to feed the team to like, for dinner with two pizzas so you must have a two pizza team now considering i can eat three quarters of pizza by myself in yep. 15 minutes uh, that's going to be a very small team yep. um but the idea is the smaller the team the less lines of communication yep. the less lines of communication the easier it is scrum at scale is how do you take the concepts of Agile and Scrum to a large organization? So where you have many different pods yes. and teams that should be working to one common goal. Yes. Yep. And it is unlikely in this day and age that you will have five Scrum teams completely independent within one organization who don't at least release at the same end platform. Yep. Um, so if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about ways of doing this, the Spotify model is becoming very famous and okay. there's some great examples on YouTube yep. um, where they've drawn out how the Spotify models of tribes and, and pods works. Yep. Um, and there are different ways of doing it. So Scrum at Scale is actually a framework developed by um, one of the guys who created Scrum. Yep. And it's about having a Scrum and a Scrum of Scrums and it, and it goes up. Or there's something like the Scaled Agile Framework, which is a little bit more um, large, large, large scale organizations will think about something like that. So would you as a scrum master then be reporting to your own pod of scrum masters? Is that the concept or would you have someone else that you would communicate to? So if we're looking at something like a scrum of scrums, yep. what happens is usually the scrum masters, but potentially someone else from the team, they all get together regularly and they it's essentially like the daily stand up, but yep. at a bigger scale. So rather than what I'm doing today, what I've done yesterday and any blockers that I have had at a daily basis, you will have someone turn up maybe once a week and go, this yep. week my team are working on this, last week we released that, here are the issues that we have, yep. and here are where we might cause issues for other teams. And that is just a conversation. It might be facilitated by yep. a senior scrum master. They might rotate who facilitates yep. it. And it's not as such, it can be a reporting line, but it is more about facilitating conversations yep. and finding where someone's going to collide in the middle of the road. I think that's also a very interesting point that you are supposed <coughs> to report. This is where we see that we may cause challenges for others mm -hmm. because that that's basically the core problem of IT infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I cause problems for the networking team. Mm -hmm. Solve it. Network says the same thing. We have our way of doing it. We don't care what the other ones of you do. Just adopt to it. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that insight, if you can get to that level, mm -hmm. that would ease up so many things for IT infrastructure as well that you actually need to understand the implications of a thing you do mm -hmm. and report that in advance. So if you, so the, the, the way of thinking about it is if a plan and decision originally was for an organization to move all of their stuff into AWS. Yeah. And that is the message that has gone out to the networks team. Yep. And all of the guys who are working on configuration from your own internal stuff. And then someone goes, hang on, we don't like AWS for whatever reason. Yep. We're going to move to Microsoft Azure. Yep. And nobody tells the networking guys and the guys dealing with the, uh, the, the co connectivity yep. for the internal stuff. That to me is just stupid. But that's how many IT organizations work. And it drives me insane. <laughs> I, I absolutely <laughs> understand that. So this, this is where, where you start thinking about, if I, if I made a fundamental change to the original plan, what is the impact? And it, it's interesting because you said most people go, well, this is what we're doing, just deal with it. Yeah. But you forget that when you say, this is what we're doing, just deal with it causes yourself more work because yep. you're going to have that argument multiple times and then you're going to have a load of people coming back and asking questions and they're trying to retrofit all of their work they've done which not even a year down the line three months down the line suddenly doesn't work with something else no and it's it's that whole there's those those many hours of coding saved yep like like three minutes of planning yeah so i as, as the last topic, mm -hmm. you said something that really many people reacted to in your session. <laughs> that beanbags, free beer, and free avocado on toast <laughs> isn't culture. <laughs> and I, I agree with you that that's what many organizations are trying to sell as yeah. their company culture. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that company culture? So it is... It's not... Is it, <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to redo rant. the question. It's fine. We're going to rant. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, this is all about ranting. So go ahead. <laughs> so basically, what has happened is traditional stuffy organizations that work on a very top-down um, command and control from the center yep. um, have looked at places like Google. Yep. And gone, what are Google doing that we're not doing? And because they're not taking the time to actually investigate how Google works in terms of the, the way people interact and they connect and how work is planned and delivered, what they see is an office full of free things yeah. and video games and yoga classes and all this sort of stuff. And they're like, we can do that. Yeah. And they're not addressing the fundamental issue. No. So what I'm seeing more and more is happening is you've got c-suite executives from a different generation looking at my generation hashtag millennial and going how do i attract them into my company yeah and it it, it is these gimmicks i don't care if your company is going to give me free dental and good health care and i never have to pay for breakfast ever again yep. if in return for that, you are expecting me to be there at 7 a.m. in the morning and I am going to be there till 9.30 because the way you have set your, your job up yep. and the way you've set the organization up is causing me more work. Yep. I like to have a social life. <laughs> you do. I do. I have yep. a very busy social life. Yep. And this is, this is where fundamentally these things are not culture. They could indicate a good company culture. Yep. 
if you've got uh, an organization where people really respect each other in terms of their values and also their skill set they are more likely to want to do this fun stuff together yeah you're more likely to connect with people on a human level and go, yeah, we're going to go and do these really fun team building things and all of these team socials. And it is a potential indication that you've created the culture you want. But that is not the thing that will cause it. So, and I think to to put this into practice, I've seen so many offices where there is an Xbox in a corner. Sad and dusty. Exactly, because no one have had time to actually use it mm-hmm. because the culture of that company doesn't allow you to take those half an hour to play something mm. on the Xbox. So I think that that's a very good way to think of it as well. Lastly, this is a question you get to think of if you like to. <laughs> so if you were to write a job advert mm-hmm. communicating culture, mm-hmm. What would that include? How would you write it? So I can, well, initially I can tell you what I wouldn't write. Yeah. You don't say, we've got a great company culture and then list all of the freebies. (laughs) Um, So uh, when I was looking fairly recently, um, that's what I was looking for. And it's interesting because the things that indicated to me that a company actually had a really, that, that the culture I want to work for and I'm super into just trying things and see what happens you start seeing um, things like you must be comfortable with um, lots of changing requirements and and you can say it in a way that's obviously not quite so bullet pointy Um, so I find that the companies that really called to me was like we are constantly trying new ideas Um, we are looking for people who are um, vocal about ways to improve the company and to improve the product we are looking for someone to become like a deep um, knowledge in their area and the thing that really appealed to me was um, at Tide we talk a lot about one team we're a distributed team everyone's a distributed team these days and particularly if you're giving people the option to work remotely but they are really focusing as an organization. Um, we're really trying to get to that point where we still feel like we are one big team, despite the fact the company is growing. So there's no key words, but it is thinking about, well, what is it that we value from a cultural perspective in terms of people fit yeah. and finding the ways to, um, to, to talk to that. Um, I found that the most useful thing I had when I was interviewing with Tide was my phone interview, the initial screening interview yep. with our talent partner. And we just had a chat about yep. how the company works and getting his enthusiasm and his energy for the company that he was recruiting for sold it to me to have the actual interview. Cool. Great. Thank you so much for deciding to be a part of our podcast. And thanks for I having wish me. you all the best in the future. Thank you very Take much. Care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.